Okay, the sound of grazing. Early morning grazing. It's a good thing. Well, we're in the final finals here in Mark. I think there's a temptation to sort of just get to the crucifixion. But there's a lot of things that Mark wants to say to us. Sort of final comments about humanity, religion, what people do in the face of God that that are pretty important. Obviously, Jesus is going to go through a series of trials, uh, groups trying to find a reason to kill him. And Mark is pretty streamlined, although I've kind of decided after studying Mark with you guys, Mark may be short, but it's the power bar of Gospels, right? It's it's pretty intense. It's that protein bar. Uh, it's not as verbose as John, but there's there's a lot packed in here. So today we're in Mark 14, verse 53, going to try to tackle the... First trial with the high priest. And as we look at this, I don't want you to think so much of just the trial. I mean, we'll, we'll go through those details. But really, this is almost a Garden of Eden kind of moment. <clears throat> the high priest, <clears throat> although that image has been pretty corrupted, sort of this representation of humanity is having a conversation with God. And I want you to look at how both sides are in such a different place. What they're worried about, what they're thinking about, it's like two ships passing in the night. And again, like Judas, it's really easy just to dismiss, well, these are the bad guys, they're doing the bad things. Uh, this has to happen so Jesus can be saved. That's That's not what Mark is trying to say. He's trying to show this deep level of humanity where a lot of times we can't get outside of the immediate crisis that we're facing in order to see God right in front of us. And so I pray as we go through this, it will forever help us never be here. Never have God right in front of our face. Never have an opportunity to do what's right. And we completely miss it because we're afraid of losing what we have. So verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, teachers of religious law had gathered. I do like New Living as a translation, but I really don't like the way they, they they deal with these descriptions of of who's who's there. Um, so we have the high priest Caiaphas. We actually know quite a bit about him historically. Uh, most famously, I think we have a picture of it. We have Caiaphas's ossuary, uh, his bone box. Uh, you'll remember when Herod builds the temple, he creates this whole generation of limestone workers. And then when the temple is done, what do all these limestone workers do? 
So they create these other industries for themselves. Uh, specifically, they take uh, limestone blocks, they carve out the middle, and they sell it to you as kind of a, a coffin uh, to uh, store the remains of your ancestors. Usually in Israel, they just throw them in the back of the cave. But this was a new, most important thing. Um, you don't see a, a box... No. Okay. Well, it's really cool looking. Uh, so if if you love grandma, of course you'll buy one of these. They only occur uh, in the first century. So the Jews don't do it before. Um, after the revolts in 66, everything is destroyed. They're driven from the land, so we don't see any after that. So they're a great dating tool. Um for that first century for the time of Jesus. Oh, yeah, so there it is. Um, usually they're not this ornate. Uh, just depends how much money you spent. But this one is really, really ornate. <clears throat> and you have the inscription, again, in Aramaic. Um, this is Caiaphas. And then the other side, they tell us that he was the high priest. Uh, we also found his daughters, um, which is which is interesting. These uh, ossuaries have done a lot for biblical um, archaeology. Uh, there was another one that was found years ago. Maybe you've heard about it. It was far more simple than this, almost just a square box. Uh, but it was... Uh, I'm translating this, but uh, it was the remains of James... Uh, the brother of Jesus. Um, so who who would that be? Yeah. It's very unusual for them to mention their brother. Um, so it's actually Jacob, uh, which is James. James is a, a translation into Greek. So it's actually Yaakov, uh, brother of... Uh, Jesus. Uh, so that really does seem to be Jesus' brother. Anyway, uh, so uh, a lot about Caiaphas. He's uh, a Roman stooge. <clears throat> there is <clears throat> a kind of mess going on. His father-in-law was the high priest. And he sort of went foul of the Romans. They, he wasn't doing exactly what the Romans wanted, so his name was Annas. And you'll see the Gospels go back and forth. So in order to appease the Romans, Annas gives a large bribe to the Romans, and they allow Annas's son-in-law to take the high priest role. Uh, which is very unusual. It's like having two presidents or having the president's son-in-law take over. And you'll see this show up in the Gospels in a number of ways. Sometimes they say that Jesus was taken to Annas' house first. Uh, sometimes they say there are two high priests, which there can't be two high priests. There can't be two presidents, right? Uh, so it's it's really just part and parcel of just how broken the system is. Uh, it's corrupt. Uh, does everybody know what a Queasling is? 
um, comes from World War II. It was a term they used for people that uh, basically joined the Nazis. Uh, you had sort of have uh, every from Ukrainians to Dutch to uh, Danes, uh, Poles, uh, others uh, that just just sold out their own people. That that's really what this is. They are they are really really corrupt uh, people. Mark is pretty succinct as he always is about what's going on. I think he assumes a lot of information is known to his reader. Uh, John and Luke do a little bit better job. So let me show you a couple of scriptures that sort of spell this out. Can we look at the John first? Yeah. So this is what I was talking about. Uh, this is John's rendition. First they took him to Annas since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. So again, it's all this real shady deal. You know, sort of like when Putin left office and he put his stooge in power. Um, that's what Caiaphas kind of is, a stooge of of Annas, um, this whole priestly priestly group. Um, and then I think the Luke, yeah. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler of Itria and Traconis. Uh, Lysus was a ruler of Abilene, not our Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, there was a messenger who came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. So it's just, it's corrupt. It's a mess. Uh, these are not... Um, these are not the best. These are not real representations of what this should be. Now, we talked a lot about the breakdown of, of Jewish politics. Who are these people, for the most part, that are doing this? Sadducees. Exactly. These are Sadducees. These are priests. They have a hereditary position. They're kind of aristocrats. Uh, that's they want to keep it in the family, and jeez, uh, hmm? yeah, it's you know it's it's not probably what they would choose, but they're they're making it work, you know, and they don't want uh, they don't want Jesus to mess it up. Do we have the other John passage? Yeah, so this is at least Caiaphas' explanation for what he's doing. Um, this is sort of internal uh, conversations that they had. Then the leading priests, so that would be Sadducees and Pharisees. So there is some uh, working between the two, even though they really hate each other. There's sort of Democrats and Republicans working together. But they called the high council together. What are we going to do, they ask each other. This man certainly performs many miracles or miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. 
as a high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. That's pretty ironic. Two verses, three verses back. If you let him continue, everyone's going to know him. Right. And then, or else the Romans will destroy our nation. And it turns out, if we kill him, everyone knows him. And then the Romans still come destroyed. Like they were exactly that. No, this is this is exactly right. <clears throat> they are so focused on not making it worse. They have their perks, their abilities, their whatever. Financially, they're doing okay under the Romans. They don't want to mess with that. And it's, it's, it's like I said, ships passing in the night. It's a bad situation, but we've learned to live with the devil we know. They're afraid of people getting to know God. Is our world afraid of more God? Don't don't upset the apple cart. It may be rotten and full of worms, but just leave it leave it alone. And what I love about Jesus, what I love about uh, Christianity, is we've always turned over the apple cart. I mean, we've changed the fundamental way humans live. Now, there's always forces that want to change that back, uh, even within our own ranks. Um, there is something bad that happens when biblical faith turns into religion, which turns into bureaucracy, for lack of a better word, uh, expectation, hereditary. Um, you know, the high priest, he doesn't worry about the people, is he? No, he's worried about his his position. Um, I, I, I've seen this sort of repeated, uh, not just with the Jews, but uh, I mean, with Christianity, we've we've seen it over and over. I mean, on the big level, I think we saw in the Catholic Church where that institution became so rigid that it was defending itself at the expense of letting people know God. I think just a year or so ago, we were going through the same thing. The little bureaucracy compared to the Catholic Church, but the bureaucracy of the Methodist Church had become so uh, distant uh, from the people from Scripture, and they wanted to maintain the funding for their agencies. They wanted to push their social agendas, and they didn't care um, what we said we thought we did. <clears throat> so this is not just a matter of Sadducees or of some Pharisees helping them. I think this is the danger when we get very familiar uh, with sort of the workings of God and we think think we know better. So Jesus is taken either to, I, I don't know, whether he's taken to Annas' house or the Caiaphas, or maybe it's the same. But So he's arrested, and where is he taken? Yeah, but the, the high priest's what? Is that normal? You're arrested, and you're taken to the judge's house? At night. At night. This is never normal. This is not normal for them. This is all hanky-panky. Um, this is, 
again, we talked about before, Jewish law is very clear. Uh, you don't arrest people at night. You don't have trials at night. You don't. <clears throat> everything has to be transparent. The place that all this should be happening is at the temple in the middle of the day so that everybody can see it. Uh, there, there's no behind-the-scenes deal. But they're, they're <clears throat> trying to rush this and force it. Um, and it's... Rider, or would the writer want us to immediately question legitimacy? Absolutely. Writes it that way. Yeah, that, that we've been shocked, you know. I was arrested and they took me to the judge's backyard. I mean, does that happen, Chris, normally? (laughs) We switch gears a little bit in verse 54. Meanwhile, Peter followed at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with guards, warming himself by the fire. It's an interesting um, uh, dating technique uh, here. Uh, this would be uh, early spring, so it can be a little bit cool uh, up in Jerusalem in the springtime. Inside, the leading priests, so the Sadducees and the entire council, which I, the, the, I don't think, uh, despite what John is saying here, this is the entire we, they call it Sanhedrin. Um, it looks like it was 23 of them, which would have been enough for a quorum. Uh, but uh, the, the full Sanhedrin, this is debated, but it would be anywhere between about 74 and then we have 104. Uh, so that would be a pretty large group to get into a house, uh, even a wealthy house, uh, anything like that. Uh, it would have probably also garnered the ten, uh, attention of the whole city, right, that, that um, the whole Sanhedrin has moved uh, into the judge's backyard. Or, uh, they were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Do do you know the fundamental principle for uh, conviction in Jewish law? Yep, you got to have two. No matter what happened, you have to have two witnesses. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. You lawyers can debate that. Uh, But uh, they need two people to agree on the same thing. But again, this shouldn't be done by a small quorum only. It shouldn't be done in the high priest's house or backyard, and it shouldn't be done at night. But they couldn't find any of these witnesses. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. So again, uh, it's inadmissible. Finally, Some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. So, did Jesus say something like this? Yes. What was he talking about? Yep. 
his death upon rebirth three days. Right? They're conflating two things here, right? Yes. And this is a sort of profound rabbinic teaching here that uh, we build these artificial structures, we build these stone structures that are our religion, that are our our maybe necessary element to organize ourselves, but they have this way of drifting into this is what the church, this is what uh, the faith in God is. I mean, as much as we love this building, this is not the church, right? This can be gone tomorrow. This great atrium, whatever, uh, this is not uh, what Jesus died for. So there can be little bitty churches everywhere. He died so that our soul can be with God. So that we go back to the garden or we, other side, we, we live in the kingdom of God. We're moving towards a place where we'll be with God forever. It's this rebuilding of the relationship. Now Israel has been looking for this for centuries. This is what they have wanted. There's plenty of scriptures in Zechariah that talk about God building a new kind of temple. So this was not new to them. But you have not only this clash between two elements within Jewish society that don't like each other. Remember, the priests want to return to the way it was in the Old Testament. Specifically, they are descendants of uh, Moses and Aaron, really just Aaron, and they should have their rights again. We're going to do animal sacrifice. We're going to keep the letter of the law. And you have the rabbis that came along and said, no, we really need to figure out how to apply Scripture here and now. So you have this this struggle between them. Uh, Jesus very much had done a rabbinic kind of teaching. Uh, this this hyperbole, this this uh, parable that, uh, yeah, this this temple, this thing that you all build is coming down. They take that attack on their structure, the physical building, as an attack on God. Totally missing the fact that they're talking to God. I mean, the high priest's job is to help connect God to the people. And he has become that block. Now, this is, I'll stress this, this is not unique to the Jews. Um, Christians, pastors, um, we often get in the way. And I pray this is a litmus test for any time God tries to speak to us and we can't hear it because we're so focused on here and now. Let, let me let me poke us for a minute. What if God asked us to move from this campus? To go somewhere else? Would we do it? Could we do it? I'm not... This is just Bible study. I'm not suggesting anything. Yeah. We would resist. Um, We've got a lot of money here, a lot of history. We're downtown. We like it. And I agree with all those things. But this is how, when we head down this road, 
how we end up like Caiaphas. There cannot be a proper relationship with God, Caiaphas, and really his father-in-law would say, without this physical structure, without the monetary system, without uh, all the things that we've come accustomed to. And Jesus, you are a threat to that. And just appreciate the irony that you're telling God, I don't care what you say, you need, I need this building. And it's it's crap. But this was their last best hope for uh, trying to catch Jesus. And as Chris said, they're, they're, they're mixing two different things he said. And they're just being legalistic in a non-biblical way. So then uh, Caiaphas, and my impression of him really is he's the boss's son-in-law. Okay, no matter where you are, what business you're in, who is the boss's son-in-law? He's a dweeb, right? He didn't get it because he was the best and the brightest. He got it because he married Annas' ugly daughter. And um, so here he he kind of demonstrates it. Uh, it isn't going the way it should. Uh, this is a kangaroo court. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Now, there are certainly scriptural elements here about the Passover lamb being silent led to the slaughter. But looking at this very from a first century uh, perspective, if a rabbi doesn't respond to you, it's because, in a sense, you're stupid. You're not worth a response. Uh, rabbis are sort of these living, walking scriptures. And so, again, they'll ask questions. They'll lead you to things. Uh, Jesus is willing to talk to widows or children, anybody that has a genuine kind of of question. I mean, the, the, the woman that had the bleeding, I mean, she was as ritually unclean as you can, and Jesus talks to her because there was this genuineness. But here, he will not talk to the high priest because the high priest, in a sense, is not talking to Jesus, is not talking to God. The high priest is just defending uh, the structure that has become his crutch in life. So definitely the high priest takes this as an insult. Um, you know, Jesus isn't recognizing his authority. Which is ironic, because supposedly the authority from the high priest comes from God, which is standing right there before him. Then the high priest asks him, and this is what it all comes down to, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? So notice there's two phrases there. Uh, we tend to conflate them. Are you the Messiah? Are you son of the blessed one? So, uh, please understand, a lot of times in Jewish thinking, they didn't necessarily believe that the Messiah would be the son of God. 
Um, they're two different things. Now, obviously, Jesus comes and he he conflates them. Uh, the Jews believed that there would have possibly been two messiahs, uh, the son of David and the son of Joseph, <laughs> which is ironic because what is Jesus? <laughs> He's both. But uh, so Caiaphas wants both of these things. Are you, in a sense, the son of David? And are you the son of Joseph? Now, why do you think he calls, uh, he doesn't say son of God. He says son of what? Why does he do that? Exactly. Um, the reason they say kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God is this, this is a Hebrew way of showing proper deference. They don't want to say the name of God. It's it's not to be used lightly. And so sort of this reverence that's turned into political correctness. Um, you know, I'm not just going to blurt out God because I revere God. But who's sitting there right in front of him? And does he respect God at all? Not at, not at all. It's this sort of hypocrisy that we can maintain this, oh, I use the appropriate words and I'm so polite and I'm so, and yet I completely ignore God before me. I mean, I use this language in order, uh, really, not to revere God, but to revere myself. Uh, it's just, I wish somebody would make a play or write a book about it. Just this, again, two figures that should connect. I mean, the high priest should be the one that connects to God and brings him to the people. But we've corrupted that whole system and it's just, I'm defending my tradition, I'm defending my thing, and God, you are a threat. Even though I've dedicated my whole life to supposedly serving you. Please, let this never be us. Yeah. Was there anything in the, the Jewish uh, belief or the Jewish preparation leading up to, to Caiaphas, let's say, the common figure? What were they looking for in terms of how would they recognize the Son of God for the Messiah? What did they think signs were? Uh, that's a long conversation. There are a lot, and there's a variety of opinion. A lot thought there would be a revolution, there would be a king. A lot thought that it would be the restoration of David's throne. Um, I asked the question, leading up to this point in all the Gospels, the Jews were God's chosen people. Right. Jews... Christ came to lead, to save the Jews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So at what point in time does that, I give up, just as I wash my hands of it, I'm not going to worry about the Jews anymore. There's a grand plan here somewhere, but sure. was the grand plan all along from Christ's birth? To do away, or not to do away, but to veer away from the Jewish and begin the new Christianity as we know it, or did it? Was that decision made somewhere along the line? Did Christ reach a point where he said, "I've had enough too." 
A little, little question. Um, I don't think God has ever made a decision to give up on them. I don't think we're the new wife. I think we have been included. But honestly, Gary, if he's willing to dump the Jews, then he's willing to dump us. Did they ever do anything that we haven't done? So, again, I think that's hubris where we come along and say, well, <laughs> I'm the fresh wife. I'm the young wife. Uh, no, it, it, it's complicated for sure. But the early church is Jewish. I mean, the, this representation is not the whole Jewish nation. It's, it's a corrupt version of some. But I, I don't think uh, he has given up on them any more than he ever gives up on us as Christians and us as individuals. The early creation wasn't Jewish. Like, exactly. I mean, this is something that we've gathered over the last year and a half. Like, if you get back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, there were no Jews. There were no Jews. Original plan, yep. all of humanity would be with him. And so we had these, like, steps corrected and keep failing and failing. And so the, I almost want not to ignore the Jews, uh, but get past, like, we got to go back to original creation and be a God Amen. Ambassadors and his people on earth, and they failed. So we have a new chance through Christ to be his ambassadors and get back in God's presence. Like, that's how I uh, get rid of getting away from. Did he give up on the Jews? No, but he's been constantly doing this for humanity in general. But there was an intermittent point where God said, Right. He, he picked one to try to make a living example. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It, I, I believe so. Yeah. In a sense, he loves all of his children. Uh, he, he wanted all the children, and then he first had Israel, and then now he's, he's including us. Now, I certainly think Jesus is sort of washing his hands of this corrupt uh, system that they've become, just like I think God washes his hands of a lot of Christianity. Let's be honest. Um, we defy the scripture, we deny Christ, we deny all of his teachings, and yet we try to keep this bloated bureaucracy going. Uh, he's as unhappy with that. It doesn't matter if there's Jewish on the name or if there's Christian on the name. He, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have much patience, I think. But let, let me finish with this because it's a, it's a mic drop moment. So the Caiaphas asks, you know, these two questions. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And Jesus responds in the most amazing rabbi kind of Jesus way. So <clears throat> Jesus said, I am. Which means what? Yeah, uh, Yahweh. Um, so he, he is just in their presence, quoted the name of God. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the place of power at God's right hand 
and coming on the clouds of heaven. So let me explain this. Uh, the Son of Man is the figure that they've always looked for from the prophecy of Daniel, that on the day of judgment, in which all people are judged, there was this figure that came in the light of God, and they could see the burning light that was God, but they saw the second figure that looked in the form of a man. This is the Son of Man. This is the one who judges all things. Jesus is saying, Hey, buddy, you're going to see me again. And the day you see me is judgment day. Yeah, so there, there's your answer. I'm not only the Messiah. I'm not only the Son of God. I'm the one through which all things were created and the one in which everyone is going to answer to. Hmm? Right, right. When, when we go to heaven. But I don't think Jesus is recommending uh, paradise for Caiaphas or anybody who allows their relationship to God to turn into this, I've got my stuff. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to protect it. Even to the point of telling God to shut up. So, All of these people have had Daniel memorized. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe not the Sadducees. They're not the most memorizing <laughs> scripture guys. But, uh, yeah, uh, they, they, they should know, they should know the story. So, uh, 63, the high priest tore his clothing in horror. Uh, Jesus has just, in, in a very biblical kind of way, said, buddy, you don't know what you did, but I'll see you again one day at judgment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There, there, there's a lot of ripping and, and separating going on here. But as crazy as this is, please remember Caiaphas. Guys, let's never, ever be here. What does God have to do to get your attention? If he's standing right there in front of you and telling you, I need you to step out, to get away from your comfort, to get away from your tradition, to get away from all the things that give you meaning and purpose, and follow me. And we say, shut up. You can't do this. It's not allowed. Who do you think you are? That says, well, who do you think I am? So, anyway, last questions. Kind of running late. Poor Jesus, this is just the beginning. If he'd only had a good lawyer. No such thing, yeah. I I know one good lawyer. Actually, I probably know a couple. So. Nobody else is going to ask. The sermon series we started on Sunday, is that all going to be based in Mark? No. Okay. We were going to have a bet on which would finish first, this or that sermon series. <laughs> yeah. 
the the sermon series is based on Matthew, so uh, this will end early. I don't know what what do you what do you all want to do? I mean, what kind of party do we throw when we finish? Because we're at fourteen, we only have two chapters. Christmas, but <laughs> Valentine's Day, yeah. Maybe we'll celebrate New Year's Eve. So, anyway. Well, let's pray. Well, Father, our God, we do humble ourselves, lower ourselves before you. Lord God, we love patterns, predictability. We love structures, things we can touch and feel. Because they give us the false sense that we are in control. That this life... That's what we make it. Father God, we thank you for your word today that cracks open our heart. We are the creature. We may struggle to learn, struggle to make life work, struggle, but that doesn't make us in charge. Help us forever to remember this encounter. Help us when we speak about you and to you To make sure we listen. To make sure that we have true humility in your presence. That our nonsense is worth a response. Father God, we confess that we are so quick to tell you what you're supposed to do. To tell others what you will do. Teach us to pause for a moment truly learn to listen to you and spend more of our time following you. May we never have a night in which we as priests become like Judas, become like Caiaphas, when we scheme and connive to make you do what we think we need. May we always be willing to follow change, risk, grow, and sacrifice in your name. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay. If the sermon series is based on Matthew, why would you remember that it was...